Do you want to store up treasures on earth? Do you want to store up treasures on heaven? And do you believe that? And I want to be crystal clear on something here. What I'm saying is it doesn't mean leaving what you're doing necessarily, because the majority of folks who go through halftime don't leave what they're doing. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has inspired in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Halftime Institute CEO, Dean Nywilney. Now, while I was in Redding, California at the Heaven and Business Conference, which by the way, I highly recommend. My co-host, John Ramstead, had a chance to chat with Dean over Skype. Now, if you've never listened to a halftime interview we've done, we'd like to let you know uh, that we've partnered with Halftime, and we're offering those of you in our listening audience a chance to get a free copy of the classic Bob Buford book, Halftime. The subtitle is Moving from Success to Significance. I love that title. And in addition to the book, we also offer a complimentary, no strings attached, one hour of halftime coaching. All you have to do is go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. That's eternalleadership.com slash halftime and enter the information. I'll have that info again at the end of the show. But first, here's John with Dean Nywolny on today's Eternal Leadership. Well, today on Eternal Leadership... Uh, we have a great friend of mine, Dean Nywolny. Uh, Dean is the CEO of the Halftime Institute, and you've all heard quite a bit about Halftime recently as we've partnered with them, and it was a big part of my journey of this transition uh, of something I had in my heart of going from a life of what, what Bob Buford calls in this book, success to significance. I didn't even know what significance looked like, how to achieve it, how to get there, but I knew it was something I, I really desired in my life. And Dean has had just an incredible, uh, just an incredible history and track record. So, Dean, welcome to the show. John, thank you. Uh, it's a privilege to be on. Well, Dean, I'd love to start and just have you just share your story and your journey so far, so people can get to know you, uh, and then we'll get into some questions about how you really kind of made this this leap to a whole new level in your life. Yeah, thank you. I. Uh... I spent uh, 23 years in the financial uh, arena uh, working for a variety of major firms and started out as a financial advisor way back in 1987. Had the pleasure of uh, my very first client being my father and, and made an investment for him and the next day was the 1987 October crash. So it wasn't a good start to my career, John, but nonetheless. How'd that go over at Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation with my father saying he's moving his account away from me. So uh, not a good start to my career, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, that didn't, uh, he did not move his account. But I, I worked my way up uh, through various, uh, with various firms um, into management, ultimately uh, working uh, as a regional director overseeing a number of offices in Chicago uh, in the mid '90s and early 2000s, and uh, I grew up uh, Catholic, a great family in Wisconsin, and uh, moved around the country uh, as I was uh, pursuing my uh, career. And then uh, in uh, 2005, I had an opportunity to read this uh, book, Halftime, that you mentioned earlier, and that changed my life. 
And about seven years later, I ended up uh, working here at halftime, and it's been a blessing ever since. Tell us about the few years kind of leading up to the point where you read that book. What was just going on in your life, your marriage, kids, your, you know, the balance you had yeah. in your life, the busyness? Yeah. In, in the early 90s, uh, I was driven to be very successful. My goal in life at that point was to accumulate material possessions, to build my net worth, uh, I grew up with humble beginnings in northern Wisconsin, so this idea of being successful and making money and having toys and all those things, I thought that would bring a lot of satisfaction. So in the early 90s, <clears throat> I really pushed uh, to be as successful as possible, and I did a pretty good job of that. In 1995, a friend of mine introduced me to a church in Chicago, Willow Creek Community Church, and I was... Uh, running an office in downtown Chicago, and I started attending Willow Creek. I continued for the next few years after being introduced to Willow in 1995 uh, to pursue uh, toys and material possessions. And then I, I went to church one day, and Bob Buford was being interviewed by Bill Hybels. And he was talking about this idea of going from success to significance. And uh, it sounded great. Uh, for him and his friends, but for me, it was still all about building up material possessions. At this point, the prior five years, uh, I had gone through a divorce. I got remarried and had two children and uh, really dedicated my life to the Lord. I didn't know what that meant at the beginning of my life. I knew who Jesus was. I just wasn't walking with Jesus, and I started to do that in 19. 95. But after listening to Bob uh, speak in 1999, uh, it resonated with me, but it, I wasn't ready to make this huge transition in my life. Over the course of the next few years, I read the book two more times. And it's interesting, most folks who read the halftime book, read it two or three times. The first time it makes some sense to them, but it really starts to resonate after time number two and three of reading it. So the change in my life really started to happen in the early 2000s. So when you heard Bob talk, as Bob, uh, if I remember, he had you know he'd done well in business, but he'd sold his company. So now he was in a place where he had some pretty significant resources and time. But you were in the heart. You were in the middle of your career, you're busy, you're going to work, you have meetings. So you, you're really in a different place when you heard that message. So how did you, uh, what did it mean to you at that point? Yeah, it, for me, it was more motivation, quite honestly, to go out and be more successful and accumulate more mm. things, um, which was interesting because as I sat and listened to Bob in powerful story of going from success to significance in his life. And uh, I heard him say in that interview that he would like to see his last check bounce, meaning that everything that he had built up up to that point, he was putting back into the kingdom. And uh, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to continue on this path of accumulating uh, things and money and building up my net worth. And so this idea of giving back or, or, or um, being philanthropic or living a life of significance, 
I knew it made sense, but I wasn't ready to make that transition at that point. So, you know, as you read that book a couple times, Dean, what, what, what did you notice? Did anything slowly change or was it a big change over in one moment? Yeah, what, what happened for me was I started to realize that the material possessions, making more money, doing the big deal, making the next sale, uh, really didn't lead to the happiness that I thought it would give me. There was this emptiness. And uh, as we like to say around uh, halftime, there was this smoldering discontent in my life because I really felt like going out and accumulating material possessions would make me happy. And what I realized is that as I continued to accumulate more stuff, there wasn't this happiness there. I actually tried to work harder to accumulate more things, and that only made it worse because I kept thinking to myself, there has to be more to life than just having stuff. So in the early 2000s, I really took a step back and started to work on myself. And that meant evaluating where was I at this point in my life? What made me happy? I actually, John, kept a list with me of things that made me happy and things that made me sad or things that I didn't like. So I was really trying to take time to evaluate myself. Who is Dean Nawalny? And uh, because what, what I was trying to do is figure out this emptiness. And what I didn't realize is that this emptiness or this hole in my heart, as I used to call it, was really right there in front of me. It was this idea of connecting to the Lord and as we like to say here at halftime, identifying my Ephesians 2.10 calling, which I'm sure the listeners know. It says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared beforehand. So I was thinking to myself, wow, well, he has, he has works. He's given me gifts. There's things that I should be doing. And it started to resonate with me that if I connected with that, that maybe is what's missing in my life. But the turning point for me was really uh, one day as I was volunteering at Willow Creek, we did a day of solitude, which was completely foreign to me. And they said, let's go out. We're going to do eight hours of solitude. And we're not allowed to speak to anybody. Now, John, for me, I, I was ready to pull my hair out of my head. I couldn't imagine yeah, that'd, that'd that. That'd be tough for, for me, if you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, even this idea, uh, even having lunch, we couldn't speak to each other at lunch. So anyway, I thought, well, what am I going to do at, uh, as we go out and do this day of solitude? I said, well, it's probably good to grab my Bible and uh, start there. So I leaned up against a tree next to a creek bed, and I opened my Bible and surprisingly, I opened to Ecclesiastes. Okay. And I started reading Ecclesiastes about King Solomon. And here, remember, at that point in my life, 
I really was driven by material possessions and, and, and accumulating things. So here I'm reading about King Solomon who had everything, everything the world could possibly give him. Uh, he had wealth, he had parties, he, he, he just had everything, all sorts of things that you would think uh, would make someone happy. And at the end, what King Solomon said, this is meaningless, meaningless, it's a chasing after the wind. And that was the turning point for me. I sat there and uh, that was 20 minutes into my eight hours of solitude. I didn't know what I was going to do for the next seven and a half, but I had my answer. <laughs> and uh, I realized if King Solomon, who had everything the world could possibly give him, wasn't happy, and he got to the end of his life and said, it's meaningless, meaningless, there must be more to life than just accumulating things. So that really started me on my journey. Well, you know, the next seven and a half hours, as you had time to probably think about this and process this, what did you grapple with this whole idea of what is my calling and how to find it and what does that really mean? I, I, do you find when people go through halftime that's something that they really uh, have a challenge connecting with or finding? Yeah, I think for for me that day to answer that question, I, I did not know what was missing at that point. That began this journey. So for most folks who go through halftime, um, there isn't a light switch that gets flipped on and, you know, one day you know instantly uh, this is what my calling is. And that was the same for me. That was probably 2002, 2003, and I ultimately came to halftime in 2010. So my journey took seven years. Mm -hmm. But that began the journey for me. But what I realized that day is that what I thought was going to bring me all this joy and happiness, doing the next deal, the next promotion, uh, you know, uh, buying more stuff, was not going to make me happy. If it didn't make King Solomon happy, it surely wasn't going to make me happy. So I needed to start exploring what is it that will fill that emptiness that I was feeling at that time. And that's when I really started studying the Bible and the scriptures and realized that all of us have this burning desire to be significant. God has instilled that. In everybody's and what, heart. What does it mean to be significant? Yeah, I think being significant really means that at the end of your life, you want to look back. First of all, you want to connect with the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Number one. Secondly, what impact uh, am I going to have over the remaining years of my life? So that I can look back and realize that I did something for the kingdom. I helped in areas that Jesus cared about. This idea of being significant means building into others, uh, building relationships with others. Uh, you know, Jesus is very clear in the Bible about things that he cares about. You know, the prisoners, the widows, the orphans, etc., and so this idea of living a life of significance, in my opinion, means how can I engage in those things that break Jesus's heart uh, and make a difference in those areas? Um, I think at the end of one's life, 
if if we go to one's funeral, and I've, I've been to a funeral like this, and we, we, we look at that person laying in the casket, and that person has done nothing but accumulated things and made a lot of money, we're not going to say, well, look at Dean. Man, he made a ton of money. What a difference he made in his life. The power really comes in if they, somebody shows up at my funeral, which I hope is the case, and they say, look at Dean. That person has made an impact and has changed lives of many and has lived a life of significant meaning I've built into others instead of building into myself. You know, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I had an accident a few years ago, and, and uh, I remember laying on the, in the hospital room and the doctor coming in to talk to my wife, Donna. And he asked if I had a will because mm-hmm. they, they had to do some pretty significant brain surgery from what happened. And I remember him telling her that, you know, there's a high chance that I wouldn't survive this surgery. And the only thing I could think about is what my life meant to at that time. I, I remember thinking very clearly that financially my family is going to be taken care of. You know, there's an inheritance there, right? That's what you leave to somebody. But I was thinking about a legacy. Yeah. What have I left in people? What have I left in my wife? in my, my children, I have three boys, in the people around me. And that's when I really started thinking about if I get a second chance to live, if I survive this, how do I live a life that, that actually is meaningful, that, that, uh, that outlives my life? And yeah. I, I honestly didn't know what that looked like, but I had this deep desire to get there. Um, so yeah. when you're talking about a legacy and leaving you know, more in people uh, than they have now, helping them move forward. What, what, did, what were you able to do that moved you in that direction? I started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, spending a lot of time on myself. But what I ended up doing is I read the halftime book again. Uh, I had it up on my shelf and I read the book. And now all of a sudden it resonates with me. This idea of going from success to significance, now I understood it because this idea of living a life of significance and being connected and doing uh, what the Lord had designed for me before I was born was the missing piece for me in my life. So I read the book. And as I was sitting in my office building, and this was in December 2006, I was up on the 40th floor of the Mercantile Exchange Building overlooking Chicago at the 13 offices that I was overseeing at the time. And I screamed out to the Lord, Lord, there has to be more to life than this. There must be more to life than this. And uh, the Lord didn't speak to me, but I felt that it was time for Lisa and I, my wife and I, to really take a look at our lives and really start downsizing and getting rid of all these things that were distracting us from what the Lord really wanted to do in our life. We spent a fair amount of our time focusing on all the stuff we had accumulated at that point. What were some of the things in your life that you decided to shed? Yeah, we spent, at that point, we accumulated uh, an airplane. Uh, We had four homes. Um, we, we had two boats, um, country club membership. We had a variety of things that 
we thought because we were in this mindset of trying to accumulate things that those things would bring us happiness. What we realized is that it was time for us at that point to start downsizing and simplifying our life. I didn't understand and Lisa didn't understand at that point exactly why we were supposed to do that, but we felt very clear that that was the direction the Lord gave us that day. And we started in 2006 getting rid of those how, how many hours a and, week were you working to support all this, Dean? Oh, I was probably a 60, 65-hour-a-week guy, traveling a lot. My commute was an hour and a half each way, uh, each uh, every day. Um, you know, running myself ragged. Uh, I remember days when I would be thinking to myself, Boy, I gotta pay insurance on the airplane. I gotta pay for the hangar. I gotta pay taxes on the lake house. I gotta do this, and I was pulling my hair out of my head. But um, it looked good, you know. And I had friends who enjoyed taking advantage of all those things. But what was interesting, uh, John, is that as we started to get rid of those things, and what we say at halftime is build margin in our life and, and and free up free ourselves up our life got so much richer so much richer my relationship with lisa started to flourish cuz i wasn't focused on all these other things my relationship with kaden and kennedy my two kids started to flourish my relationship with the lord started to flourish cuz i wasn't preoccupied by all these things and what also happened at that same time as Lisa and I started to simplify our life, um, you know, this initial fear of, oh, my gosh, if we do this, um, why are we doing this? Our life is going to be miserable. It's not going to be fun. We're not going to have anything to really do to enjoy ourselves. It was actually the opposite. We started figuring out that you know, instead of having all these things that were preoccupying our time, that we could actually have fun with each other. <laughs> and we started to build relationships just within the family. But at the same time, at work, there was a gentleman who asked me if I'd like to be part of a Bible study. Mm -hmm. I said, I'd love to do that. And I said, what are we studying? He said, we're going to study this halftime book. And I said, you know, I've read that book three times. Uh, and I am actually at a point in my life that I really want to do that. So we started doing what we called a halftime huddle. Every other week, 11 men got together to study and go through the chapters and answer the questions. But I was at a point in my life where if halftime was there or not, I was going to figure this out. I was going to figure out what does God want me to do with the rest of my well, let's, life? Let's talk about that because, you know, I know for me going through the halftime journey, really, it, 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 it was a process. It took some time. But I'd love to hear from your perspective. What, it, what does it really take to almost shift that identity that we have as business people from the world to one of looking at us from God's perspective and then tapping into that calling that he has? How do you... Yeah, I mean, there's a great chapter in the book called Success Panic. Uh, so how do you go from this, this life that you just described uh, to this new place that you were seeking to get to? 
Yeah, I think you you need to make you need to take a step back, and uh, you need to take a look at what economy do you really want to focus on? Do you want to focus on the world's economy, or do you want to focus on the Lord's economy? Do you want to store up treasures on earth? Do you want to store up treasures on heaven? And do you believe that? And I want to be crystal clear on something here. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is not that. Folks who are in this situation or maybe listening, it doesn't mean leaving what you're doing necessarily because the majority of folks who go through halftime don't leave what they're doing. That's a, that's a great point to stress because a lot of people's view of following a calling or really being effective for God involves leaving what you're doing and getting into ministry or getting more involved in your church or going and working in Africa. And, uh, and that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, that's exactly right. I And you asked about success panic. Well, success panic uh, talks about this idea of trying to be successful in the world's economy, in the marketplace, if you will, and in setting goals for yourself and ultimately getting to that point, whatever it is for you, and realizing to yourself, is this all there is? I mean, I hit the goal that I set for myself is this all this all there is? And all of a sudden, this panic sets in, and that's exactly what was happening to me over and over and over. And what when I shifted and started thinking through what does what's the Lord's economy look like? What does He see as success? Things started to change for me and for Lisa uh, dramatically. And what we started to do is realize that people matter to the Lord. Changed lives matter to the Lord. The orphans, the widows, and others matter to Jesus. And we started to focus on that and wanted to figure out how could we spend more time focusing on those things than focusing so much time on the world's economy. So, you know, as you were still working, what what did that look like practically as you, as you made those changes? Yeah, so as I started going on this halftime journey and, and we started to discuss building margin in your time and in your talent and in your treasure, one of the things that I needed to do right up front was how can I build margin in my calendar so I can go serve in my area of passion? Well, one of my initial passions was to help homeless men and women become gainfully employed. Mm. And one of my uh, skills, if you will, uh, is uh, that I hired a number of people for the company I was at. So I was good at reading resumes. And I decided that I would carve out two hours every Thursday to go to the homeless shelter to help men and women write their resumes. That was the first thing that I started that I really uh, started to do and engaged in. Hmm. So when I realized that I wanted to start making this shift, I started to think, okay, okay, my work environment looks like like this. How can I serve the people that I work with day in and day out? And in corporate America, that can be challenging. There's a lot of rules around what you can do. But What I tried to do is identify folks within my offices that were hurting or were in need, and I would figure out ways to serve them because I just felt the Lord was saying, Dean, help those that are right in front of you. 
That was number one. The second thing was use your skill set to help others that are in need and build margin in your calendar to do that. And that's when I went and started helping homeless men and women with their uh, resumes. So that was the beginning of the journey for me. And what we call those things is our low-cost probes to go try some things to see if it fits if it's if it fits with your skill set, if it fits with your spiritual gifting, if it fits with what you're passionate so, about. You know, that's how you started. How would you describe now that you've gone through this and you're in this this great place? How would you describe your life today? So somebody's driving down the road, they're listening to this. Like, if I I have this sense that I need to go in this direction, I'd love for you to give them some perspective of what the other you know the other side of that uh, that other pasture looks like. Yeah. First of all, uh, I would be lying to everybody if I said it's easy. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes work. You need to spend and set aside the time to focus on yourself during this season and focus on uh, spending more time in solitude, more time focusing on Scripture and connecting to the Holy Spirit to get your directions. And so it was a process. It's a journey to get to this point. Like I said earlier, uh, I spent seven years on this journey to ultimately get to where I'm, uh, where I am today, and that's with halftime. But the best way I can answer your question, John, is when I get together with managers that I used to oversee at the company I, I was at, and we have dinner together up in Chicago. They say to me, I just don't get it. You've (laughs) taken an 80% pay cut, and you're the happiest I've ever seen you. How can that be? Now, I'm sitting around a table with guys who are doing really well financially, but are very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's everybody, because it's not. But in this particular case, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining about what's going on. What I feel now is I just have this incredible joy, and the joy doesn't come necessarily from what I do day in and day out, even though I love that, uh, and I can see life's changing, and I can't imagine ever going back to what I was doing, but I see joy in my wife. My wife's now living out her calling. My kids are seeing mom and dad living out their life of significance and it kind of sets a roadmap for them to follow. And it's just so impactful to the kids to see mom and dad instead of out there buying all sorts of stuff and accumulating toys and things. And I don't want to say we still do that, right? We still do that. But the kids have seen a totally different uh, environment at home where mom and dad are much more in love with each other and they're out serving other people. So we're leaving, I think, a legacy for our kids to follow. Just by modeling this life of joy and fulfillment and happiness and this great marriage as it's come together, what, what an incredible example. I, I think that's one of the best things we can do for the next generation. I do, too. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? I'd, I'd love for you to take uh, a little time and explain to somebody you know, what the whole Halftime Institute is all about. And if somebody was to go through that process with you after reading the book, what what does that actually look like? 
Yeah, halftime is really a platform that will allow you to, to be in a group of peers who are going through exactly the same thing you're going through. So don't think you're crazy. Uh, like I thought maybe I was crazy. And then I realized when I got here, there's others. And there's others around the world, by the way, who are uh, going through this. Uh, so halftime is a platform that allows you the opportunity to spend time on yourself, to really understand how has God wired you at the core? We call it archaeology. How are you wired at the core? What are your strengths? What are your spiritual gifts? What are you passionate about? Many people will say, I'm not passionate about anything, but you'd be surprised. You're passionate about something. So we give you a platform and exercises to really explore that. Then we do what we call construction, and that is we take all of that and we help you put a plan together to live out your Ephesians 2.10 calling or live, if you will, in God's sweet spot for your life. And how we do that is over the course of 12 months, you, have, you come to Dallas for a launch program to help you with your strengths and your passions and your spiritual gifts. And then you're assigned a halftime certified coach who will walk with you every single month for the next 12 months and guide you on this process. Not only will your halftime coach guide you on the process, but that peer group that you started with also gets together every month on a call so you can share the joys and the struggles and, and, and things that you learned over the last 30 days with each other so you can kind of go through this together. And then at the end, if you haven't identified your Ephesians 2.10 calling and gotten plugged into whatever the nonprofit or ministry is for you, we have another piece of halftime called Halftime Talent Solutions, which helps men and women get plugged into whatever their calling is. And, you know, I would say, uh, uh, well, you know, what I would echo there is when I went down for the two-day workshop in Dallas, uh, it was the first time I'd really, as I, as I got close and really understood my, my values, my gifts, my passions, my strengths, in the way that you had me think about it and put those together, it was, I had such clarity down there, I'll never forget in that hotel, God gave me my calling, he spoke to me, uh, but then how to live that out, because this was going to, for me, require some big changes in my life, and that coaching with Jeff Spatafora, if anybody's interested, he did some other episodes, so I'd encourage you to go listen to those. But also that that work with the group as we got together every month and hearing what everybody else was doing, where they were struggling, where they were moving forward, for me was huge in actually not only having some of the, the courage to create some of the changes, uh, but also relating to other people because there were things I was struggling with. I'm like, God, God gave me this calling. I shouldn't be struggling with this. But it's just our human natures. And just to have that peer group in that same situation that have your same background experiences to go through this with, for me, was so meaningful, uh, Dean. It was just a, an incredible experience that changed my life. But I, I think, like you said, it, I could have gotten there on my own. Uh, it would have taken me years. What halftime did for me was created such a velocity toward getting to the place where I was effective in kind of this new, you know, realm of significance. I think it's shortened that time for me to get there by by years, literally. 
Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I think the coaching process is really the secret sauce, in my opinion, other than spending time in solitude and, as we, we say, spend time with your personal board of directors, which is something we help you develop when you're here. But the coaching is so good, and, and I can say that because it was, it was designed prior to me getting here, but Jeff Spadafora was my coach also. And if he could figure me out, he can figure anybody out. But I, <laughs> I, I will tell you that these coaches have seen everything. And if somebody's listening to this podcast and is saying, I'm not a fit or whatever, my encouragement to you is if you even have these inklings to have a conversation with us and we have heard and seen everything. So no matter what you're going through, uh, I, I think you would find that these coaches will make you feel very at home and they're very wise. So what's what's the best way for people? They've read the book or and if you'd like to get the book, just go to eternalleadership.com forward slash halftime. Uh, so if you want to read the book, you can go there and we'll get you a copy. Or if they've read the book, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you uh, or any of the coaches and just have a conversation? And there's no obligation. It's not a sales call. This is people who have a heart to help and serve others that would love to just help you get some clarity on things that are coming up as you're in the the same spot that, that Dean has described here. Yeah, the easiest way to do that, John, is to go to the website, halftime.org, and the contact information is there, the phone number's there, and uh, there's videos that you can watch, there's testimonies on there, and uh, that would be the easiest way to go about it. Great. So any final thoughts as somebody's listening to this, Dean, they're pulling into work right now, uh, that you'd just leave with them? Yeah, God has a plan for every one of us. Everybody has an Ephesians 2.10 calling. And God wants us to live in that sweet spot. Bob Buford said, when I came down here to Dallas in 2008, three things that changed my life. One was he feels that there will be a final exam. And that final exam will be, what did you do with Jesus? Secondly, it will be, what did you do with the gifts that I've given you? So the expectation is that Ephesians 2.10 says that we do have gifts and abilities, and we're expected to use those. So when he mentioned that to me, it was eye-opening, because I wasn't sure I was using my gifting. I was doing good things, but I, I wasn't sure I was doing the gifting or doing what I should be doing with the gifts that God had given me. But the third thing that Bob said that changed everything was it's not going from success to significance necessarily. It's going from success to significance to ultimate surrender. And my encouragement to whoever is listening is just try it, explore it. You will find great joy and peace when you identify that Ephesians 2.10 calling. Well, thank you, Dean, for coming on. And my prayer is people do find that 210 calling because I know the doors that it opened up in my life. And just thank you so much for your time, Dean. This was fantastic. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Now, if the book Halftime sounds appealing to you, please go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime and sign up for a free copy of the book as well as the offer of a free hour of halftime coaching. We'll make sure to get that to you right away. Next time on Eternal Leadership, acclaimed speaker and author, Mark Sanborn. 
I think probably one of the things that happens to most successful people at some point in their life, uh, hopefully sooner than later, is they realize there's only so much pleasure, so much enjoyment and gratification you can get from uh, earning and enjoying for yourself. You won't want to miss this conversation. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.